Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. This is your host, Ian Harditz. And a quick disclaimer, everybody. Unfortunately, this podcast was recorded before the Carson Wentz trade. Obviously, we knew that this was a possibility as we started this 32 for 32 series and something like this could happen. So check out PFF.com for full thoughts on fantasy implications, real-life implications, all foot, all things football implications on the Carson Wentz trade. Just realized that myself and my guests did not know that this trade happened when we recorded it earlier this February. So difficult finding. 32 schedules, you know, to record these podcasts, and it's unfortunate that I wasn't able to do it, and slightly better to, uh, to avoid something like this, so my apologies, but just realized we did not know about the trade, we knew something like this could happen again, so this is not a useless podcast by any stretch of the imagination, please just don't think we are too big of idiots as we discuss what could be happening at the quarterback position as it has already been solved, so thank you as always for listening, and enjoy. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we continue our 32 for 32 series with a look at the Indianapolis Colts. Might have blown your Survivor League in the first week of the 2020 season, but truly was a solid 11-5 and year. One of the more complete teams in the league ultimately couldn't get past the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round. Who could other than the Chiefs, to be fair? Want to break down what figures to be an exciting team because, again, one of the more complete teams in the league just need to figure out the all-ever-important, I should say, quarterback position. I have a very special guest on to help me accomplish this task. He's been covering the Colts since 2012. You can hear him on 107.5 The Fan and follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Kevin Bowen. Kevin, happy offseason and thanks for the time, man. Yeah, what's up, Ian? Thanks for having me on, man. For sure, for sure. And yeah, man, so Colts, one of the more interesting teams I think we have out here because, you know, really it is two or three uh, needs away. A lot of teams would like to say, oh, you know, they're a quarterback away from being in it. It is the most important position, but truly in the Colts case, they're quarterback away from you know, literally putting the cherry on the top of an otherwise well-constructed roster for the most part. But we'll get we'll get to that here in a second. Kevin's going to tee us off first with his top three team needs for the Colts ahead of 2021 offseason. We'll go through our typical gut feel round, then get a bold prediction from Kevin before he heads out. So Kevin, let's hear your top three team needs for the Colts ahead this offseason. Well, yeah, can I go quarterback one, two, and three? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think short-term, long-term, uh, quarterback is certainly the the biggest need. Um, and it's a very foreign place for this franchise. You know, they're very fortunate to have Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck fall into their laps with the number one overall pick. And then even Phillip Rivers, in a way, you know, it worked out really well that the Chargers were done with him without, you know, that franchise quarterback in place and that Frank Reich had that connection. So, you know, here you are. Is it going to be a short-term stopgap that has familiarity in the system? Is it Nick Foles? Is it Jacoby Brissett for a third time, which I know a ton of fans would absolutely hate? Um, do they go long-term? Do we see a big trade up in the draft, a la you know the, the the two AFC finalists this year in Buffalo and Kansas City as well? So I thought Matthew Stafford made a lot of sense, but again, uh, that, that that value and what the Rams could offer is just totally different. So I'd say quarterback definitely number one. I'd say left tackle too. You know, Anthony Costanzo, they drafted in 2011. He also retired, uh, although Philip Rivers' retirement trumps him. But um, Costanzo's been the left tackle for this franchise for the past decade. He's been extremely durable. I think very underappreciated from a national sense. And obviously those two positions, you know, go hand in hand. You know, when you look at the Manning luck years, it's interesting. If I'm not mistaken, I think the, the draft prior to taking those two quarterbacks, they took a left tackle. Anthony Costanzo in 2011, I think Tariq Glenn was taken right before they selected Peyton Manning in 98. So, you know, what do you do there? Offensive line means so much to Chris Bauer. There's certainly been talk of moving Quentin Nelson from left guard to left tackle. That would help you out financially. And I think from a resource standpoint, but 
You know, this is a guy that's only played 10 snaps there since high school. He didn't even do it at Notre Dame either. Um, and then lastly, I would say, um, boy, I'm kind of torn on the last need. Wide receiver, edge rusher, and cornerback all kind of fit in there. I'd say edge rusher, just long-term. Justin Houston has been very durable uh, here over the last two years. But if you look deeper, just don't, don't look at the sack numbers. Look a little bit deeper. He hasn't been of a consistent of a rusher as you would like. And uh, some of their young draft picks there haven't emerged either. So I think edge rusher would probably round out my, uh, my third need. Great stuff. Yeah. I had QB, uh, QB pass catcher and edge. And you brought up a great point about left tackle with uh, needing to replace Costanzo, obviously. Now we'll stick with uh, edge for a second because I mean, DeForest Buckner came in, I think almost exceeded expectations with how good he was when he was healthy. Obviously you got Darius Leonard behind him. I mean, those are two blue chip studs in the front seven. Obviously you got to replace Houston and Autry and Muhammad to some extent that these guys do end up taking their talents elsewhere, but you got to feel good. I mean, you know, somewhat good again about maybe having a slightly, you know, below average edge, you know, with the, the guys they got in the middle still. You know, it, it's kind of funny. You know, I, I almost look at that and think, why wasn't the edge rush better? Yeah, you know, true. like <laughs> it, it, if you look at the Colts, they finished this season second in the league and run defense. I mean, that that's not a unit. You're in Derrick Henry's division and, and you know, you face, <laughs> um, you know, some you know, decent runners. They faced Baltimore this year. And, and again, to be the second in the league and run defense. And then, like you said, Buckner, an all pro year. I mean, he's commanding double teams, you know, seemingly every third down and yet your edge group consistently just couldn't win a, a whole lot of one-on-one. So in this defense, um, Matt Eberflus' scheme, there's kind of three hot spots that they really focus on. It's the three technique where Buckner is, it's the will linebacker with Leonard, and then it's Kenny Moore in that slot. And, and again, three really good football players. But if you look at edge rusher and you look at outside corner, um, those are a bit more up in the air. Outside corner, Xavier Rhodes had a very fine year yeah. um, coming here and kind of resurrecting things. But you got to believe he's going to find that money uh, considering the big decrease he had to take there and being cut by the Vikings. So I still look at Ed Rusher, which, you know, as we know, is very difficult to find. But I think considering the amount of attention Buckner gets, how well you did against the run, it was just disappointing to see that that, that edge group now have a little bit more pop. Yeah, that's a great point. And obviously, you know, whenever we look at a pass defense, it's pass rush versus coverage. So obviously you can always add some resources to both. Moving over to the offense real quick, you know, quarterback position is the big uh, elephant in the room. I got to ask, because I love watching this guy play. He gets a bad rap around the league because one time he walked into someone else's party when he had a few few too many. Chad Kelly, like I saw nothing but good things from Frank Reich about Chad Kelly last year. I know he's been a knucklehead over the years, but like, is there any chance this guy could get back in there or is it just a situation that's not going to help itself out? Yeah, unfortunately for all my SEC followers and, uh, you know, former Bills followers <laughs> and whatnot, Chad Kelly had a big following, and I certainly appreciated that when, when he would get into preseason games. But uh, I, I don't see him uh, in, in the Colts quarterback mix. Again, I, I thought it was a Frank Wright connection with Jim that obviously helped things out. And, you know, I don't think Chad uh, misbehaved in a big way here in, in Indianapolis by any means. But as you know, uh, to be the quarterback of a franchise, you got to be relatively squeaky clean. Yeah. And I, I just don't know if uh, if uh, Chad had that. So now it's all about Jacob Eason. You know, he's there the uh, he, he he's the hot young 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 name here in Indianapolis. Whereas I want to say they cut Chad in September or October, and I don't think he's uh, 
been on the roster since. Yeah, it's really been that preseason, man. You mentioned it here in the uh, you know fantasy streets of the world. We, us true Gents are playing you know daily fantasy, <laughs> even for those preseason games. And Chad, I mean, he was he's a stud, and he could run around. You know, self pronounced second fastest uh, QB in the NFL. Gallo, and maybe, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Chad figures it out somewhere else. Last thing before we move on to the gut feel round, I want to talk about these pass catchers because I mean, Ty Hilton. I mean, he, I want to hear your thoughts on if you think he'll be back. Also, Zach Pascal, uh, someone that might not be there. even Mo Ali Cox and Trey Burton are free agents. Like, I feel like they really could make some moves both in the draft and in free agency here at receiver and tight end alike. You know, it's funny, Jim Irsay, the owner of Colts, spoke last week about, you know, and obviously everyone would love to have this, but he goes, you know, 10 and 87 in Kansas City look look pretty good. We, we could always upgrade at wide out and tight end. Um, I expect Zach Pascal and Mo Ali Cox to be back to restricted free agents nice. that I think um, just consistent. Mo Ali probably a little bit more. Uh, high-end ceiling that, you know, he might be 27, 28, but let's remember he's super young in his football career considering he played basketball at VCU. Um, you know, Hilton is such a fascinating one. You know, he's plastered on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium. Jim Mercer absolutely loves him, but there's finances and he's a free agent for the first time in his NFL life and he's 31 years old. And um, I don't think physically he fell off a cliff this year, but production-wise, you can't ignore it. Now, at the same time, how much of that was Phillip Rivers? You know, what is this something where you get more of a vertical threat from a passing game standpoint? Does that all of a sudden kind of cater to more of what Hilton is? You know full well, Ian, 30-year-old wideouts just don't produce in the NFL. Like, Larry Fitzgerald is a freak. Julio Jones is a freak. That's it. I mean, those are really the only guys over the last, you know, handful of years that have really produced. Sure, you got to Edelman in the slot or, you know, maybe an Antonio Brown three or four years ago, but you just don't see that. So I think you have to acknowledge that. And obviously wideout is a very deep class in free agency and you've got a, a wide variety of skill sets as well. So I think um, they will look to bring back Hilton, but at the same time, if you can get Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, um, I mean, that maybe will complement kind of more of your wideout skill set. And then Paris Campbell, is still kind of the the forgotten name of the staff is bullish on him. He's had some very difficult injuries in his first two seasons. If healthy, I think he can flourish in a Frank Wright system. Yeah, that dude is electric. I and mean, we're talking true, you know, angle or racing speed sometimes with him. And that's good to hear yeah. that Mo Ali Cox should be back. I don't know if I've ever seen a player like look bigger on the field than Mo Ali Cox. I mean, allegedly there might be some bigger guys throughout the league, but that dude just looks huge. Excited He's to see huge. that ceiling. Yeah, excited to see that ceiling hopefully flourish more, uh, as you mentioned. All right, we move on to the gut field now round. And we are recording this on February 4th. So Kevin is not Nostradamus. There could be some things that change. Maybe a big quarterback deal. But as things stand right now, we'll get his opinion on the following topic. I want to start off with that quarterback position because Rivers is gone. Maybe Jacoby's gone. Jacob Eason is now popping to the top of all these, you know, betting odds saying who's going to be the week one starter. Basically, does Eason deserve to be the favorite or do you just think there's no way they enter the season without, you know, trying to spend up on the position? Yeah, I, I think there's no way Jacob Eason is your starter week one or honestly, even throughout 2021. As much as I can listen to those people say that and, and probably honestly agree with some of it because I'm such a big believer and finding the long-term answer, you know, Chris Ballard said before Philip Rivers retired that he wasn't sure if he was comfortable with Jacob Eason being the backup. So again, you got to take that for what it's worth. And, and what just kills you with Eason is in the last four years of football, he could have played in 55 games. Like if you look at Washington, Georgia, and now the Colts, sure. he could have played in 55 games. He only played in 16 of them. 
And that's just the reality of where you're at with them. And I don't see this franchise all of a sudden being like, all right, Jacob, you know, let's go baptism by, by fire for 16 games. So um, you love the big arm. He was hurt big time by COVID. You know, we talk about preseason dreams. I mean, I couldn't wait to watch Jacob Eason in the preseason. And then all of a sudden that, that happens. So um, that's the reality of where you're at right now. And, and I, while I'm team draft, I think we'll go with some sort of veteran stopgap. And again, we get it. I mean, we talked about the team needs, you know, QB, wide receiver, edge rush, maybe cornerback, but truly like if they resign a couple of their guys and are able to address the positions meaningfully well, you can't see why they would be in that win now mode. So that'd be interesting. That's one of the, you know, again, just in terms of who can go into a system and play well right away, you can see why, uh, you know, Watson and some of these other guys maybe had their, and Stafford particularly had their eye on the Colts. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They'll provide the most interesting football conversations and sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best. 60 minutes of insight this season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana. 1-800-9 with it in Virginia call 888-532-3500 I want to talk about this run game, particularly in fantasy land. We always want these running backs that can be, you know, the bell cows and get those 300 plus touches. Jonathan Taylor came on so strong at the end of the year, looked like a different guy. With that said, I mean, we did see a three back committee for a lot of the year. I know Naeem Hines is still going to be the pass down back. Do you expect Jonathan Taylor to be getting that 20 touch workload, you know, starting September, or are we going to see things sink back a little bit into that Wilkins Taylor Hines committee before the games really start to matter? Well, I, I think the first domino is what happens with Marlon Mack. You know, he, he's tore his Achilles in the season opener, coming off a thousand yard season. I mean, um, for what it's worth, for a quarter and a half, he looked great in, in Jacksonville in the season opener. And then obviously now he is a free agent and he's coming off a torn Achilles. And there's some intriguing running backs on the open market. So where is he at physically? And then where is he at, you know, NFL wise? Like, where is he playing? You know, the Colts have definitely not ruled that out. And they love Marlon Mack as a. As as a human and as a pro having said that Jonathan Taylor deserves to be the bell cow. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, you you watch the final seven or eight games of the season guys, not named Derrick Henry, find me a more consistent runner than Jonathan Taylor. I think he had, I want to say it was at least 70 yards in the final seven games. And I actually think he was over 70 in the playoff game as well. So that's what we look for. And I'm sure in the, in the fantasy world, it's, it's so boomer bust with running backs. If you can have a consistent guy like that, boy, that is a dream. And so uh, Taylor did that. And it's so rare to see guys, you know, have arguably, you know, almost two months of, you know, over 70 yards in every single game. So you drafted him in the second round for a reason. You traded up for him for, for a reason. It, it took a while. He had some growing pains and Naeem Hines is still going to have a very carved out role yeah. and, and should, but as a first, second down back, Jonathan Taylor getting 18 to 22 carries a game, 
needs to be the the norm. And honestly, I think it will be unless you do bring back Mac. But still, even then, I don't think it's like a guarantee that all of a sudden Taylor's going to be scaled back to whatever, 14 carries a game. Yeah, I mean, particularly if he keeps playing like he did in the second half. I mean, he had the yards and every, you know, behind the scenes metric thing was just saying this was a truly different back. He broke like eight or nine tackles on runs in the first kind of two months of the year and like literally tripled that over the back half of the season. This guy was impossible to bring down. That's great to hear that they should be featuring him regardless of how the max situation turns out. How surprised surprised were the Colts? uh, Please continue. And then how surprised were the Colts about uh, Taylor's disability to catch the ball? Because I know that was one of the issues coming out. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it, it was just it wasn't just the production, it was how he was getting that yeah. that production. It's not running behind a great offensive line and you know, gaping holes that you and I could go get you know, <laughs> two yards or something, you know, with it was this is a guy that's making guys miss behind the line of scrimmage. And and, and that was kind of a question because at Wisconsin, obviously, you know, he's running behind such a great offensive line in college. Yeah, I would say his pass catching might have been the biggest surprise. I think going into the playoffs, he had 30 catches and 31 targets or something just crazy. Um, now, having said that, he had two drops that were pretty big in that Buffalo playoff game. So I, I think that is something just, just to keep in mind a little bit there. But, um, you know, third down wise, nine lines, again, it, it, it's just a different element. Now, Phillip Rivers loves those type of backs on third down, and so he's no longer here. So that's something that you have to factor in. But I think Hines is too much of a weapon on that passing down to take off the field. But clearly, Frank Reich is not afraid to use Taylor. And and I mean, it's not a guy that's just going to have five catches, you know, for the entire season. I mean, he is going to be involved, um, you know, I think right around a couple catches a game. Yeah, I remember he had that long, uh, that short swing pass against the Texans. That he just ran like 40 yeah. yards untouched. Fourth I remember, play, yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I remember because like Jacoby, okay, we all know Rivers is better, but like Jacoby made some great plays in 2019, like off script. But that play in particular reminded me like, you know what? If you got a smart veteran quarterback back, back there, just knows where the loose spot is, man, that's you, you'll take that easy pass all day long. So good to see that t- Taylor, even if he's not Naeem Hines, he can still take advantage of that when the defense allows him to do so. Sticking with the receivers we talked about ty hilton a little bit already you know perhaps they can get him back on a team-friendly deal but hey they at least already got michael Pittman and paris campbell do you think they're comfortable with those two guys leading the way or do you see them trying to bring in you know kind of a big uh, number three member to add the group yeah i think they will look heavily into that um you know again as much as they're bullish on campbell you can't ignore the injuries um now in terms of Pittman, i think he's a i think he's got the potential to be a flat-out stud um, I, I thought his yard after catch ability, you know, I think people, you know, look at USC and they think pretty boy wide out, you know, what's he going to do after the catch, things like that. They forgot who his dad was. I mean, this is a guy that, that is pretty aggressive with the ball in his hands. Um, I'd like to see a few more 50, 50 opportunities for him, particularly in the red zone. And a lot of fantasy people were, were like, wait, six, four, two twenty, And he's not that big of a target inside of the 10. So I think that's kind of, the next step for him beating press coverage is probably something as well. But honestly, I, I could see Michael Pittman taking a big, big step in year two and really being a guy that, you know, certainly maybe the number one here in Indianapolis and could push for, you know, top 10, top 15 wideout ability. And I know that might surprise some people and, and that might be me going on a little, little bit of a ledge there, but I do think he has that type of ability especially just the, again, the whole yard after catch. I mean, there were some screens, there were some crossers where they just got the ball in Pittman's hands and he's a long strider 
man, four or five, you know, it, I think he runs a little bit faster than that, honestly, with the ball in his hand. So I think those are all really intriguing traits that you got to like about them. He's a handful in the open field. No, I, I don't think you're, I mean, hey, he's not going to be, you know, have an average draft position inside the top 10, 15, but that's in his range of outcomes as what's looking like the undisputed, potentially number one in Indy. So, yeah, and that was the thing with Pittman, with Hilton, all these guys. I mean, you can criticize their lack of production at times, but it wasn't like they were getting force-fed eight, 10 targets and not doing anything with it. It was usually just a trouble to figure out who is Rivers going to be targeting the most this game. And again, Rivers was making the smart decision, doing all the right NFL things, but in fantasy land, we just want those volume hogs if possible all right so last thing i want to talk about this tight end position because i mean ever even in philly and now in indy i mean frank reich knows how to enable a productive tight end it's just been uh, really over the last two years if they're all healthy it's been a problem to figure out who's going to actually be getting that production burton's a free agent you said they're going to try to bring back mo alley cox hopefully jack doyle i know they love him there but it looks like maybe they could save some money if they cut him basically how do you see his tight end situation shaping out because if it is just the mo alley cox show that could be someone that really puts up some numbers here yeah, you know, it's um, it's such a great debate. I know from a cap standpoint, yes, Jack Doyle, you would save some money. I think they just value him too much. He's just sure. consistent. And Mo'Ally Cox, there is still a bit of a boomer bust, I think, sort of look on it. Yes, they, they, they think there's more there. But I just think if you were to all of a sudden cut Doyle, you might be thinking to yourself, man, you know, week 13, it'd, it'd, <laughs> it'd be nice to have him pretty reliable. And a guy that's been relatively durable as well yeah. in his career. Um, now, you know, having said that, you know, Jim Mercer, like I said earlier, he felt like tight end could be upgraded and there are some, you know, there's a Hunter Henry, there's a, you know, Johnny Smith, uh, who knows about, uh, Tanya and I think is a free agent as well coming over from, from green Bay. He actually played his college football in the state of Indiana. So, um, the tight end of Frank Reich offense, you know, that, that's always something that is pretty, pretty attractive. I know there's been a little bit of flirted around what happens if Zach Ertz becomes, expendable in Philly put on the trade market, you know, certainly the Frank Wright connection there. So I think those are um, some names and, and, and just things to keep an eye on of, I could see them bringing back Allie Cox. I could see them bringing back Burton. You know, he's a guy that, you know, he battled a few drops this season, but was a versatile role, stayed healthy, you know, injured his calf and train camp, but then played the final 13 games. So that was a big thing for him coming off the injuries in Chicago. So um, I could see them running it back with the same tight end group, but I also feel like if the right opportunity presents itself, you've got to get a little bit, you know, a little bit more explosive there. Maybe just a little bit younger with Doyle and Burton, both over the age of 30. Yeah, I mean, Burton made some great plays, particularly when he had a chance to do so. And again, I mentioned even Jacoby in 2019. I liked a few things he did. I will say all these fantasy football managers out there hate those two guys because whenever the Colts are on the one-yard line, we had a couple wildcat snaps to Burton where he wouldn't give the ball to Taylor or Jacoby would come in and take the QB sneak because Rivers isn't about that life anymore. So I will say if those guys end up leaving town, despite them being good players, would not be the worst thing for Jonathan Taylor <laughs> managers out there. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. Give us a bold offseason prediction before we take before we get out of here oh man um well I, I guess i kind of hinted at it earlier i think michael Pittman could be a top 10 wide out nice. this year in fantasy um i i'm not gonna lie i don't know maybe where he falls in the 2021 early preseason rankings but um to me that sounds kind of bold so uh yeah, yeah. i'll say that michael michael Pittman is a top 10 wide out in 2021 
I love it, man. If I had to guess, I think he'd be kind of in that lower 30 range, but he's going to be one of those guys that it's going to keep popping up on, you know, you should be drafting this guy because when we have someone that's being priced as a wide receiver three that has wide receiver one in his range of outcomes, those are the guys you should be going after. That's why Will Fuller was such a great steal last year. And even some of those Giants guys, while it didn't work out, were looking good as well. So vol- we, we chase volume, not talent in fantasy football, and Michael Pittman might just have both. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. Again, people can find you on Twitter at kbowen 107 seven out what do you got on the docket where can they listen to you yeah uh 107.5 the fan is our radio station i got a podcast called kevin's corner uh, comes out every week uh talking colts so uh busy off season like we have talked about here and so i uh, appreciate you having me on ian yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, make sure make sure you follow Kevin again on Twitter at KBone1070, one of, if not the single best Colts reporter in the business. He's Kevin Amian. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 